So I like to compare what happened yesterday at 3.30 when I got a phone call from Ben to me kind of sitting in the bullpen at a baseball game, just kind of chilling there, you know. I'm the last choice for this Sunday morning and like the last person who's probably supposed to be up here speaking. But then he calls me and he's like, hey, it's coach, I'm putting you in. And your only response has to be, all right, coach, put me in. So I'm here this morning and I, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I wrote this at 5.30 to 9 o'clock yesterday. So I may be a little rocky and I'm asking for your grace in that this morning. And while I was talking to Ben about what we were talking about this morning, he said, honestly, you can just do a one-off sermon, and it can be about whatever you wanted. And so as I thought about that idea, I decided I'd talk to you about something we're doing in our student ministry and how it applies to our lives around us today. And so that's what this is. This series is called This Is My Campus, and it was written by about five different local youth pastors in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I know, like, most of them. And then after they wrote this, they gave it away to tons of different youth pastors for free. And this series has one goal in mind, and that is, what would it look like for a high school student to walk into the place that is the most scariest place to walk into, a high school? Or a junior high student to walk into their middle school? A place that's filled for them with anxiety and fear and frustration because they long to be accepted, but then they get there And they have to overcome so many hurdles and obstacles. And along the way, they're trying to figure out who they are and their identity in Christ. And so you have this place that's filled with darkness that the enemy has a hold on. So what would it look like for our students to walk into their high schools and proclaim the name of Jesus instead of proclaiming, I'm going to do what everyone else is doing? And what would it look like for them to start meeting the needs of people around them? So that's what This Is My Campus is, and we're talking about it for the next four weeks in our student ministry. So if you have a student, I urge you to have them there because this series is awesome, and it's building off of everything we've done this summer. You see, this summer we started out in student ministry with a series called The Idiot's Guide to Christianity, and it's literally based off the idiot guidebooks you see every time you go to like the half-price bookstores, and they're just all like chilling there in a row, like... I was at Half Price Books yesterday, and I saw it. I was like, the idiot's guide to WordPress, the idiot's guide to blogging. I was like, huh, let's go hand in hand. But it was really funny, because I was like, what would it look like for someone who has no clue who Jesus is to understand what it means to be a Christian? And so all summer we focused on that, and we did some studies in the book of Romans about what it means about this idea of being a disciple. Because our student ministry philosophy is that, based off the Great Commission, we are called to be a place where disciples are making disciples, where that once our students become disciples, they are called to disciple those around them. And this is my campus is huge to the core of our mission as a student ministry because we want our students to go into the school and we want them to invite their friends into this story of proclaiming the gospel and how Jesus can change their lives. So this morning you're going to hear Uh, two words that you're going to have to replace for yourself this morning because for each person it's different. And those are the words campus and locker. So a campus can literally be from your factory job, your office job, maybe it's your neighborhood for you like stay-at-home moms. A campus is anywhere where you spend a majority of your time throughout the week. For a student, that is school. For you, maybe that's the office or maybe it's the bank or the post office, or the factory you work at, or the doctor's office, or teachers, maybe it is a campus for you. And then there's the second thing. There's the locker. 
And we use the analogy of a locker represents a life because each student has one. And if we put it in terms of maybe our own jobs, at every office we all have a desk. In every school for teachers we all have a classroom. For every stay-at-home mom, you have a neighborhood with homes. For every factory, you have a spot on the line. This can apply to each and every one of you today, this morning. And so I ask you as we, we dive into this, to replace those words campus and locker for yourself about what it would mean for your life. As we try to tackle this question, what does it mean to meet the physical needs of those around us? Will you pray with me as we get started this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for just another opportunity to come here and preach your word. God, I know the past 24 hours have been crazy. And oftentimes it seems like the enemy is just trying to beat us down and not hear your word proclaimed. But God, this morning I ask that my words aren't spoken, but the words of the Spirit are. And that you're here with us in this room, and that everything that happens here glorifies you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So as we, we look at this idea of going to our campuses and proclaiming the gospel, we have, to, we have to recognize that there's some tension there. We have to recognize that a campus is a very scary place. You see, a campus, it comes with the baggage of our everyday lives, fear and anxiety of being accepted by our peers. And because of that, the campus is threatened by the gospel. You see... The enemy uses those things such as fear and anxiety and the desire to be accepted to grab hold of our campuses and keep them for himself. He wants them to stay chained in darkness and bondage for as long as he can. So he's threatened when he hears the word of the gospel. And the reason he's able to keep hold of it so often is because we're all broken people. We are all people in desperate need of a savior. Which is why every campus, even though they may not know it, is begging for the love of Christ. Because they're begging for a Savior. And believe it or not, every Christian has a campus to put their name on. For you, it may be your office, or your neighborhood, or a community of people that you hang out with that maybe aren't Christ followers. I can almost guarantee that each one of you has a campus that you can put your name on, that you can start meeting the needs of people around you today. Because every person has a metaphorical locker, and every locker represents a life, and every life is lacking something. Every life is lacking something. It's this idea that while all of us, we think we have it all together a majority of the time, if we're being honest with ourselves, we all kind of struggle right? Like, you could be having a really rough week spiritually and doubting God, or maybe you haven't felt his presence in a while, or maybe you lost your job and you're scared that your physical needs are going to not be met, or maybe something terrible, tragic happened to you and you're emotionally off the wall right now. You see, each one of us goes through a cycle where we are in need. So what does Jesus say about those times that we're in need? So if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to take a look at three different stories that are found in Matthew, or not Matthew, Luke chapter 4 and 5. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 4, 31 through 36, I'm going to set the stage here real quick. 
Jesus, this is right after like he got baptized and did his temptation. He is there in Galilee in a city called Capernaum. And as he's in Capernaum, he's just going around preaching the word and doing some awesome things. And it says this. It says he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word for the authority and power he commands the unclean spirits? And they come out. We have this moment where Jesus meets the spiritual needs of someone there. But then we read on in verse 38 and it says, And arose and left the synagogue. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases were brought to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them saying, You are healed. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And then we're going to take a look at one final story. You have to jump a little bit ahead. It's in Luke 5, 17 through 26. And this is one of my favorite stories. It's a story of the paralyzed man that Jesus heals. And it goes on and it says, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with, him, was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing him on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, answers them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power and authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man that was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick your bed up, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on the ground, went home glorifying God. In amazement, seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with all, saying, We have seen an extraordinary thing today. Jesus in this moment does something super radical. This paralyzed man is before him. And I don't know about you, but like all the other stuff before, I can't really do either. Like I can't heal people. I can't just go, fever, gone. If any of you can do that, let me know, because like, I always have like, back issues, and I would love for those to be taken away. Um, but Jesus, in this moment, starts healing people and meeting these immediate needs that are having issues. And then this paralyzed man is before him. And what does Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't heal him right away. He doesn't even give, like, the symbol that he was going to heal this man. He just simply says, your sins are forgiven. 
And then after the Pharisee's question, he was like, all right, I'm going to heal this man too. And he meets the need of paralysis in this man's life. Awesome spot. There we go. You see, we find Jesus in these moments meeting the needs of those around him while telling them that the kingdom of God is near and that they are more than willing to be a part of it. You see, the people who were sick and demon-possessed, Jesus healed them. But not only that, we have stories of where he literally feeds people. He talks to those who were social outcasts, and he brings them into community. Jesus met all sorts of needs, from emotional to social to physical, and of course spiritual. But Jesus immediately starts addressing the spiritual poverty of his time by simply just meeting those physical needs. So, the, needs of phys- the physical needs of our community, they're important. Why? Because Jesus himself invited us, his followers, into participating in meeting these physical needs. He sent his followers out to do it on a regular basis. So now that we're here and we understand that there's an importance in meeting the physical needs of those around us, we kind of have to separate a distinction real quick. Because there's a big difference between a food bank and a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, a food bank is more concerned with giving a meal while a follower of Christ is more concerned of talking about the gospel through the use of a meal. Tom's Shoes really wants everyone to have a pair of shoes. But the follower wants everyone who gets a pair of shoes to know the gospel. And Charity Water believes every human should have clean water. Well, followers believe that having clean water is a means to dependency on the living water. We have a unique opportunity that when we start meeting the needs of those around us, we can show them the gospel. So here we are, we have to start meeting physical needs. But we can't just go ahead and do that without laying some ground rules. I like to think that Bono was probably wrong when he made the statement, I have to do something even if it doesn't work. Because ultimately that statement leads to dependency and not empowerment. You see, there's this story that I saw in a documentary, if you're ever interested in it, it's called Poverty Cure, and episode one is called When Hurting, when Hurting Helps. And in this episode, there's this man from Rwanda who, after a Rwandan genocide, started an egg, like a chicken farm, and was selling eggs. And so in this community, he's selling his eggs, he's earning his keep, and the people in the community have a service being met for them. A church got the really awesome idea, which, don't get me wrong, I think this was, there was well intentions on this part. They would start sending over eggs weekly to this village in Rwanda. Over a period of time, after all the, like, this influx of eggs happened, they stopped going to this man to get his eggs and ultimately drove him out of business. That next year, that church stopped giving eggs to that village in Rwanda, and there we have a village in poverty yet again because of our misplaced well intentions. You see, it's this idea between Rescue and relief and knowing the difference. You see, rescue is a need that is urgent and requires immediate action. Someone's house burns down. 
Someone makes suicidal comments. Someone died. These are immediate urgent needs which we need to meet right away. And it's okay to bring short-term relief. But we have to recognize that that short-term relief that we are doing for these people is not just simply for them to depend on us. It's to help and empower them. Which brings us to our next point of relief. You see, once we realize maybe the need is ongoing, we need to develop a plan to address it. So a parent loses their job. And because of that, a child can't play sports. And you know of this situation, and you really want this child to play sports. So what would it look like that instead of just giving the money that we taught this child, say they're in middle school, what it meant to work for a living, and what it meant to work to have the hobbies that they have. And don't get me wrong, I think every child, if they want to play sports, should be able to play sports. But I think there's also a difference between just handing people something and empowering them to do it themselves. For when we empower them to do it themselves, they become self-sustaining people. They don't live on our dependency, which can oftentimes enslave them because of our misplaced well intentions. And they can then start this next part, restoration. Restoration is the need is being met, and the needy are now empowered to help others in needs. It's simply my needs are met, so now I get to help others. And for a lot of us, that's where we're at today. A lot of us, our needs are met. We have food on the table. We're doing pretty all right spiritually. <laughs> we have a good education. Each and every day we get in our cars, we go to our jobs, we come home. But we fail to realize that our neighbor next door or the person sitting at the desk next to us has an immediate physical need that we can start helping with. Whether it's they need food, water, or just help finding a job, there are immediate needs that we can start meeting in our communities today. Jesus refused to ignore the physical needs plaguing the world around him. And he invited his followers to join him in addressing physical needs as a means to meeting spiritual poverty of the world. There's a physical need on our campus for a lot of people. We effectively address these when we meet that need, but we also share the gospel with those we are helping to empower. So as we go ahead and close out this morning, and the band's going to come on stage, um, our landing this morning is simply this, that when you leave this place and you start your next week, what would it look like to find a physical need around you? Or maybe you don't know of one, but you become friends with someone who has a physical need around you, and that through that friendship and through that meeting, you bring them the gospel very intentionally through conversation. What would it look like to use the restoration that Jesus has brought to our lives to start helping restore others? Because that's the point of the Great Commission, and that's the point of the statement of being disciples who make disciples. Jesus could easily be on stage this morning preaching to each and every one of you instead of me, and it would be a thousand times better. But instead, Jesus gave me a spot this morning to be on stage and bring this message to you. He gave his followers that same invitation, which
when he ascended into heaven, he commanded them to go out to all the nation, teaching them about him and bringing them into a life of redemption with him. That's been the point of the gospel from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Jesus is simply saying, I am restoring you and you and this whole earth. And because I have restored you, I'm now inviting you to take part in my kingdom. So the message this morning is simple. Will you take part in the kingdom of God? Will you go out on a limb and will you do something and meet a physical need and show that person the gospel who desperately needs it? Because our vision here is to reach that 50,000 that is in our 20-mile radius. And that starts simply with connecting with the people around us and inviting them into a story of Jesus. But then there's the other part of the room. The other group of people who maybe have a spiritual need that hasn't been addressed yet. And so this morning, if that's you, I would like to tell you that God is calling you into a story with him. He is calling you into a story that is greater than anything you've known, and he is leading you to redemption each and every day. The first step is simply asking about it. The first step is simply talking to someone about that. So if you have any questions during this next time of communion that we're about ready to transition into, I'll be in the back for the next song, and I would love to talk to you. Or maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't really want to go back during the middle of the song because you think people are going to look at you. And that's okay. I close up the church every Sunday before, after everyone leaves and I make sure all the lights are turned off. I'll be here after church like I normally am for about 10 minutes. And I'm always willing to stay longer to talk to somebody about the gospel. So if that's you this morning and you need that, please let me know. And I would love to talk to you. Or maybe you have a friend in this room that you can talk to. That's okay too. But if that's you and you're feeling the calling of Jesus in your life today, don't just let it sit there. Talk to somebody. And lastly, as we enter into this time of communion for the rest of us, as we remember the sacrifice that Christ did for us, his blood poured out, his body broken, we remember that this is him restoring us. And because we have been restored, we can now help restore this earth and restore others because he said you have a place here you have an opportunity to do it so I'm going to pray and then we're going to transition to that time Heavenly Father thank you so much for everything you've done for us God from the beginning of time you have said you are going to restore us and bring us back to you and throughout it all you could have easily just like snapped your fingers and made everything new instantly but you decided to empower us to see what it's like to help others, to teach us love. And so you gave us a spot in your kingdom. So God, I ask that as we take this bread and this juice, you remind us that we have a spot in your kingdom, that we each have a campus, and we each know someone with a locker that is lacking something. And we can start to meet those needs. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.